Shalom, shalom. My name is Ariel Ben Lyman Hanavi. I'm delighted to hear that you are drawn to the Jewish root that supports the grafted in branches. You know, Torah is central to properly understand and perform the will of Hashem, that is, God. It is crucial for us to understand theologically that the primary purpose in Hashem's giving of the Torah as a way of making someone forensically righteous only achieves its goal when the person, by faith, accepts that Yeshua, Jesus, is the promised Messiah spoken about therein. Welcome to Parashat Ki Tisa, when you take. The address is Shemot, Exodus chapter 30, verse 11, through chapter 34, verse 35. The reading date is for Shabbat, and I'm the author, Torah teacher Ariel ben Lyman. Note that all quotations are taken from the complete Jewish Bible translation by David H. Stern, Jewish New Testament Publications Incorporated, unless otherwise noted. The written commentary was updated on February 26th of 2006. Let's begin with the opening blessing for the Torah. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam, asher bachar banu mikol ha'amim, v'natan lanu et Torah to. Baruch atah Adonai noten ha'torah, Amen. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe. You've selected us from among all the peoples and have given us your Torah. Blessed are you, Lord, giver of the Torah. Amen. Well, welcome to another parasha. My name is Ariel Ben Lyman, and as you've noticed, I did not introduce the parasha with the traditional music. And that's because, um, as promised about two months ago, I am going to uh, feature one of Ryan Kingsley's songs in this tour portion today. I'm going to play the song in its entirety, and I'll play it in stereo as well. Um, the song I've chosen for this particular podcast is the song, uh, the song entitled um, V'Shamru, um, and You Shall Observe. And the reason I chose that song, which is in fact the normal music, intro music for my Exodus uh, study, uh, the intro and outro music is the song V'Shamru, written by Ryan Kingsley, uh, Messianic techno music. But the reason I um, chose to play that entire song for this particular commentary today is because the verse that the song is taken from, V'Shamru, is Exodus chapter 31, verses 16 and 17. And that will be featured in our parasha today. We will be studying that passage. And so as a special treat, I'm going to play the song in its entirety. I've gotten permission from Ryan to do so. Again, if you have questions about the song, um, if you'd like to hear more of Ryan's music, there's probably two easy ways to go about that. One would be to drop Ryan an email in care of me. Um, send me an email and you know put in the subject line somewhere Ryan's music, uh, R-Y-A-N, and um, I'll forward it straight over to Ryan. Another way that you can do it is, you know, everybody these days has a MySpace webpage. Ryan also has a, a MySpace webpage. I think you can do a search for Ryan Kingsley. That's K-I-N-G-S-L-Y. No E in Kingsley. Ryan Kingsley. Look him up on MySpace, um, and he has some of his music, uh, most of his music actually featured on his webpage. You can listen to samples or, I don't know, perhaps even full songs. But um, 
MySpace slash Ryan King. I guess it's MySpace.com slash Ryan Kingsley, okay? Um, give him a look-see and tell him that Rabbi Ariel sent you, all right? Let's go on to our commentary today. The Torah portion this week is packed with some goodies. Um, Parashat Kitisa, uh, in my opinion, is an excellent portion to conduct a verse-by-verse commentary on. In fact, if you are familiar with the Jewish New Testament commentary um, by David H. Stern, you're familiar with that format, um, where he will take a verse and he'll put uh, the number of the verse and then he'll put in bold print part of the verse, and then he'll put his comments. I'm going to be following a similar format with small portions quoted from the text in bold, and then my commentary will follow immediately, okay? Let's go forward. Uh, I'm going to start in Exodus chapter 30, and what I'll do is I'll go ahead and read uh, the verses straight out of David Stern's Bible here, and then I'll um, share my comments on that particular passage. Let's see. Here we are. Um... The first section that I'd like to comment on is chapter 30, starting with verses 11 through 16. Let me read the verses first. Adonai said to Moshe, When you take a census of the people of Israel and register them, each upon registration is to pay a ransom for his life to Adonai, to avoid any breakout of plague among them during the time of census. Everyone subject to the census is to pay as an offering to Adonai half a shekel, one-fifth of an ounce of silver, by the standard of the sanctuary shekel, a shekel equals 20 geras. Everyone over 20 years of age who is subject to the census is to give this offering to Adonai. The rich is not to give more, or the poor less than the half shekel when giving Adonai's offering to atone for your lives. You are to take the atonement money from the people of Israel and use it for the service in the tent of meeting, so that it will be a reminder of the people of Israel before Adonai to atone for your lives. End quote. Let's look at my commentary here. There are some important and complex topics being discussed in the first few pasukim, the first few verses. Um, instead of um, my explanation, I'd like to turn to my good friends Ephraim and Ramona Frank of Firstborn.com for a technical discussion of this section. Um, I'm going to use a direct quote from their site, and then I'll go ahead and tell you uh, from the footnote where that address um, is found. Okay, Here's the quote. When you lift up Kitisa, the head of the sons of Israel, to be mustered, they shall each give the ransom of his soul to Yahweh in mustering them, and there shall not be a plague among them in mustering them. Reference Exodus 30, verse 12, literal translation. Hundreds of years later, when King David made an attempt to conduct a census, Yahweh reprimanded him heavily. Uh, The quote reads, And Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel, and it was evil in the eyes of God as to this thing. End quote. That's taken from 1 Chronicles 21, verses 1 and 7. Um, the uh, Franks go on to say, We see therefore the necessity for each of the souls numbered to offer a token as a ransom. And they show that the root word kofer of the root letters K-F-R, that is kipur, meaning propitiation or covering. They go on to say that uh, it was also for the purpose of symbolically representing each person. Thus, all those who are over 20 years of age provide half a shekel as a contribution, 
which the Hebrew word for contribution there is uh, truma. Um, and this is a contribution to Yahweh. This atonement money is to be given for the service of the tent of meaning, the Ohel Moed, um, for it to be a memorial of the sons of Israel before Yahweh to make atonement for yourselves. The reference there is to chapter 30, verse 16, which I just read. This atonement or ransom money is to help in constructing the place where the sons of Israel will be atoned for and remembered. Interestingly, they go on to say later on in the parasha in 34.23, we read, quote, Three times in the year your men shall appear before Yahweh. End quote. Now in Hebrew, they go on to say that man or male is zachar, literally, one who remembered. But here the word has been modified to zachur, which means one who is remembered. But back to our senses, which enables further national organization to take place while offering an opportunity for contributions to be collected for the construction of the Ohel Moed, the Tent of Meeting, as it is referred to in this parasha. They go on to finalize, or conclude, this pragmatism wherein the, nation, the nation's practical and spiritual needs are combined illustrates the Torah's intrinsic and typical proclivity of fusing the various components and aspects of life into one act or event, as seen here. End quote. Uh, I lifted that um, quote from the Franks from uh, www.firstborn, that's 1st-born.com, and then um, right there they have a pull-down menu, a drop-down menu, for all of their commentaries. So you can just look up Kitisa, okay? Let's move on. Now let's read verses 17 through 21 of the same chapter. Adonai said to Moshe, You are to make a basin of bronze with a base of bronze for washing. Place it between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it. Aharon and his sons will wash their hands and feet there. When they enter the tent of meeting, they are to wash with water so that they won't die. Also, when they approach the altar to minister by burning an offering um, for Adonai, they are to wash their hands and feet so that they won't die. This is to be a perpetual law for them throughout all their generations. End quote. Now, um, this practice of ritual washings as performed by the Kohen, uh, the priest, actually became the standard by which later everyday Jewish males would treat each meal in his home. Um, the Torah here instructed the Kohen to wash before each offering, just as we read. Once the temple was destroyed and it was assumed that it would not be rebuilt soon, and of course, without a temple, we don't have the priestly um, lineage, uh, or I should say, we don't have the priestly duties being performed. And so, in fact, the priestly duties were then transferred via rabbinic authority to each individual house. Now, again, the Torah doesn't say that they should have done that, but um, in an attempt to contextualize Jewish life without a temple, the rabbis decided that they would move the commands for the priests into the home, making each man the uh, stand-in for a priest, as it were. And as such, each man as Cohen over his own home uh, performed the ritual of hand-washing before each offering. In fact, um, because it's mentioned in the Torah as a perpetual law, that this practice is still um, uh, it's it's still this way in many 
uh, Torah observant homes, of course, to include Orthodox and ultra Orthodox homes. Let me just open up my Sidur here. Um, this is, let's see, this is the complete Art Scroll Sidur. Um, put out by Art Scroll Publications, of course. This is the Ashkenazic version. And I wanted to um, read something for you here. Let's see. It is on page... Let me find it here for you real quick. Command of Tefillin. It's right at the beginning. Make sure I can find it. Uh, there's the ritual hand washing. Here we are on page 15 during the uh, Shachrit morning service, right at the beginning of the Siddur. Um, we read, uh, "Blessed are you, Hashem, our God, King of the Universe, who has sanctified us with His commandments and has commanded us regarding the washing of the hands." The Hebrew says, "Asher al netilat yadayim." And um, they go on to comment out of the Sudur. Let me read the comment for you here. Let's see. They got the what, what's neat is in this particular Sudur, they've got commentary on each blessing. Here it is. Um, the commentary on the phrase al natilat yadayim regarding the washing of hands. In the case of blessings, the general rule is that they should be recited in conjunction with the acts to which they apply. Nevertheless, some postpone the blessing, al natilat yadayim, for washing the hands, and asher yatzar for relieving oneself, so that they will be recited as part of shacharit. And then they mentioned uh, reference to the uh, Mishnah Barura. Four, four, and six, nine. Just to show you that um, the uh, interesting way in which the rabbis, uh, the sages of old, took many of the commands of the Torah, which were actually um, given to the priests, and took them and contextualized them for the average home, effectively keeping or maintaining or preserving, as it were, the um, uh, you could say the attitude of temple worship within the home. Um, I don't agree across the board with everything they've done, but um, I think that the um, attitude of daily worship to God and, and daily approaching Him as if it were being in the temple, I think that's a good practice. Um, and so in the absence of a temple, um, they did a pretty good job. I, I, have to, uh, I have to give it to them. Let's move on. Chapter 30, verse 22 through 33. More or less, I'm almost going verse by verse, aren't I? Um, at least for the first... Uh, let's see, for the first chapter, I, I suppose I am. Here we go, chapter 22, or chapter 30, verse 22. Adonai said to Moshe, Vayomer Adonai el Moshe, take the best spices, 500 shekels of myrrh, which is 12 and a half pounds, half this amount, 250 shekels of aromatic cinnamon, six and a half pounds, or six and a quarter pounds, I'm sorry, 250 shekels of aromatic cane, 500 shekels of acacia, use the sanctuary standard, and one gallon of olive oil, and make them into a holy anointing oil. Blend it and perfume it as would an expert perfume maker. It will be a holy anointing oil. Um, let's see. Verse 26. Use it to anoint the tent of meeting, the, the ark of for the testimony, the table and all its utensils, the menorah and all its utensils, the incense altar, the altar for burnt offerings and all its utensils, and the basin with its base. You are to consecrate them. They will be especially holy, and whatever touches them will be holy. Then you are to anoint Aharon and his sons. You are to consecrate them to serve me in the office of Cohen. 
Uh, and then verse 31 says, Tell the people of Israel, This is to be a holy anointing oil for me throughout all your generations. It is not to be used for anointing a person's body, and you are not to make any like it. With the same composition of ingredients, it is holy, and you are to treat it as holy. And then verse 33 says, Whoever makes any like it or uses it on any unauthorized person is to be cut off from his people. End quote. So, um, we see from the, from the passages here that this holy anointing oil is not the ordinary anointing oil that you might find, per se, in many uh, New Covenant passages. We know that oil is used um, to anoint people. We know that oil was used to anoint priests and kings. And yet, I don't believe that when we get to the Apostolic Scriptures, the oil that is used, um, I don't think it's this same oil. Um, in other words, it's not the oil that gives rise to the precedence that's used in many churches today, the olive oil that's used, although it is symbolic of the anointing oil. Um, in fact, any time a priest or a king was brought into office in ancient Israel, they were anointed. Thus, we get the word Mashiach, meaning the one who was anointed or the anointed one. Um, so we can see that oil plays a very important part in bringing into office uh, those people who were recognized to, of course, uh, have the Spirit of God residing on them so that they could function in that office. But um, as far as I can understand from uh, other resources, it's this oil, although it's similar, in other words, for consecration, and even though our modern oil used today in, in today's churches could could very well be one of the same ingredients as mentioned in this passage. Um, you know, it could in, include some of those ingredients, possibly. Um, the special mixture mentioned here, as I understand the verse in its normal passage, or normal usage, the mixture mentioned here was not to be used arbitrarily. It does, in fact, say it is holy, and you are to treat it as holy. Um, as such, since there's no temple right now, uh, it doesn't seem to be that it has been, re- it has been reproduced using these exact ingredients since uh, that time. Let's move on to chapter 31. Um, this is actually the construction uh, of the tabernacle. If you remember, uh, starting in chapter 25, we had the consecration, the Turma, the bringing together of the, um, of the, of the materials for the Mishkan. Uh, the tent of meeting. I'm sorry, not the tent of meeting, but the tabernacle. And then um, we're seeing that that Hashem singles out people and gifts them, artisans as it were, and uniquely um, uh, endows them with wisdom and knowledge and the ability to put this thing together. And that's exactly where we're at right now. Chapter 31, verses 1 through 11. Let me read them. Quote, Adonai said to Moshe, I have singled out Bitzalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Yehuda. I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, understanding, and knowledge concerning every kind of artisanry. He is a master of design in gold, silver, bronze, cutting precious stones to be set, wood carving, and every other craft. Verse 6, I've also appointed as his assistant uh, Oholiav, the son of Ahisamach, of the tribe of Don. Moreover, I've endowed with all the craftsmen with the wisdom to make everything I've ordered you, the tent of meeting, the ark for the testimony, the ark cover above it, all the furnishings of the tent, the table and its utensils, the pure menorah and all its utensils, the incense altar, the altar for burnt offerings, and all its utensils, the basin and its base. 
the garments for officiating, the holy garments for Aharon the Kohen, and the garments for his son, so that they can serve in the office of Kohen, the anointing oil and the incense of aromatic spices for the holy place. They are to make everything just as I have ordered you. End quote. Now, uh, we see here that God is the one who has singled out Betzalel. And it is God who supernaturally gifts these men to oversee the construction of the aforementioned Mishkan, the tabernacle and its furniture. Now, the lesson really is obvious. At least it's obvious to me. Maybe it's not so obvious to other people. At least this is what I get from it. When Hashem sends his people to perform a task, that is, he told them to build a tabernacle, he will also equip them with the necessary skill and gifting to accomplish the task for his glory. Conversely, we could apply that rule in reverse, the logic there. If someone is occupying an office within the body of Messiah, and let's say there seems to be a lack of supernatural gifting and ability to function correctly within the said office, then we might just want to counsel that individual uh, to recheck his or her calling to make sure that they're in the right spot. In other words, if you have a uh, someone who feels that he's called to be a pastor and yet he doesn't seem to have any gifting and um, uh, what would you call um, knack for pastoring well then perhaps he needs to recheck with his uh, his calling you know he could be in the wrong spot um, perhaps he's not supposed to be a pastor maybe he's supposed to be a missionary maybe he's supposed to be an evangelist maybe he's supposed to be um, a musician uh, you know maybe one of the uh, ministry team leaders who knows not everyone is called to the pastorship not everyone's called to be a rabbi not everyone's called to be a teacher etc etc so I believe that um, if that person has a, a the right gift mix within them and the calling is on their life then um, the equipping will be commensurate with the call, and so that they will function properly.